Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast, the podcast all about black as spirituality, honoring our ancestors, ourselves, and reconnecting to indigenous ways of living and being in the 21st century. Because here at A Little Juju, we are decolonizing our spiritual practices on our paths to freedom, one episode at a time. I'm your who's... Who am I? I'm your host. Okay. I'm your host, Juju Bay, and I come to this show as a Reiki practitioner, a medium, a hoodoo, a conjurer, an aberisha, a shode, and all the things. But most importantly, I am a bad bitch witch. And thank y'all for tuning in to another episode. I'm so glad that you're here. If it's your first time, hey. If it's your second time, ho. If it's your third time, we married now. We's married now. (laughs) We married. We together. We go together. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Let's get into that intro. Drop the beat, shot it. Hey. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Can't firm no say. And I'll never keep it I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my bay to make a stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves, but I manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me, yeah. So I can't be stopped. Manifested everything, give me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never drop, drop. If you'd like to keep up with the conversation, you can always hashtag ALJPod on the social media platform of your choice and see other people who may be talking about the episode, West T, find some other members of the Jujuverse, the Juju community, tap in. Of course, if you want to introduce um, me to your classes, to your school, to a workplace, you know, I'm still doing workplace readings. Um feel free to reach out to me on my website, jujubay.com to inquire. I'm also still doing weddings, y'all. I'm trying to marry y'all. I have like three weddings in 2022. Love that for me. So hit me up on the site. Um, I have a couple church announcements because it's just a lot of things that's been going on. I'm, I'm doing well. Retrograde, first of all, was a lot. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. But it was a lot for me. And if you don't know what retrograde is, uh, me either. I just know it'd be a lot. It's a lot of opportunity for good things. And it's a lot of opportunity for things that you didn't really want to think about popping back up. So that was true for me. And also had car troubles. And also my laptop broke down. Like a whole thing. But we're here. Okay. We're, we're I don't know if we're thriving. But we are here. We are present. And present is good. So I shake. Um, but I have some really, really exciting things uh, happening in February and so on that I'm just, I I love teaching. I love sharing. So the first thing, um, that I want to talk about is our mental freedom initiative. Um, our mental freedom initiative is an organization that is based in Baltimore, Maryland, where I'm from. Hey, Baltimore. Hey, 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 Baltimore. 
And Armenta is an org that works to end sex trafficking, uh, human trafficking, but particularly sex traffic, trafficking of children in Baltimore and surrounding areas. So Armenta trains, you know, regular people like you and I on how to better educate ourselves on the serious, serious, serious issue of modern slavery that is trafficking. Um, also, if you want to be a, a mentor to a survivor who was trafficked, you can do that. And they directly support survivors. So besides the educational process and raising money, our mentor works with actual people, um, mostly girls and women, but all the genders and people in the life um, who are being trafficked and through like paying any bills, making sure that they are fed, making sure that they're cared for, making sure they have a ride to a doctor's appointment, et cetera. And so for the month of February, I'm going to be donating a portion of the proceeds from all Juju Bay merch. So you get your bad bitch witch hat and get your ancestors baby mug, whatever you've been eyeing. I'm encouraging you to get that in February because a portion of proceeds are going to support survivors directly. Um, and even after that, I'm just going to be working with our mentor, hopefully as a mentor, but a volunteer in some way. They have free trainings. Um, I'll put all of this in the show notes, but I really wanted to let you all know about that initiative and the sharing of finances with our mentor. It's Black History Month. It's Black Giving Month. It's not a Black-owned organization, but a lot of the girls and women serviced are Black because, you know, our experience is in uh, you know, it's Baltimore, you know, poverty. So a lot of girls are young black girls. So this is the work that I wanted to connect myself with at this time. So encouraging you all to look into them and check out the show notes to learn more and copy your merch or donate directly to them. That's church announcement number one. Uh, church announcement number two is that I have a class back to our roots. I've been teaching classes along with Ahime, Aura, and Gary, and Gary, my cousin Gary. And we our last and final class is February, it's either 19th or 20th, I can't remember. It'll be in the show notes. My portion, I'm going to be talking about why African diasporic religions and traditions matter to us now. How can we utilize them to benefit our lives now? How can we, how are they relevant to us now? So we're going to get really into practical methods. So if you want to get that class, you can check the link in my all my bios. It'll be in the show notes so that you can get a ticket. Me, Ahime, and Gary's classes are always great. That's the class that SZA popped up in our first class, which is really, really cool. But yeah, so you'll be able to learn from all of us. Super excited about that. I also have a Hoodoo 101 class. Well, not class, course. It is a four-week I was about to say intensive. I don't know if it's intensive, but y'all know I get in my teacher bag if you've ever been in any of my classes. So we have a four, I have a four week class that I'm teaching in all of March. So every Monday in March, you will get to learn with me for the Hoodoo 101 course. We're talking about everything from roots to love workings to spiritual baths to resistance I mean, I'm going to get into all of it. I'm not going to be, you know, sharing too many secrets because it's public, right? It's public. So we're not sharing secrets, but I'm going to put y'all there. I'm going to definitely put y'all there. So if you are interested in that four-week course, link in bio. It is through Catlin Books. I'm so, so excited. I love talking about hoodoo. I love dedicating my work classes specifics to hoodoo. So I have that. 
And then I also have an Orisha class that I'm teaching. Um, and that's actually in April, I believe. So I'll get the link to that. You'll you'll see all the things, but I wanted to just say them because I don't think I actually told y'all yet. Um, so yeah, those are all the classes I have. And I think um, that's pretty much it. I, you know, I know sometimes y'all like to hear about personal things going on. I, w- I would say that there's nothing really <sighs> to share at this moment. I've really just felt like I've been underwater. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I've been feeling like I've I've just been hard to breathe, really. And I'm finally getting like a peak. I've like finally come up for a little bit of air. So I'm feeling very relieved right now. And excited about things that are happening in the future. I got my reading of the year, so I'm I'm good now. You know, we got the abo together. The offerings and sacrifices have been laid down, so we good. We just we fi- it's finally opening it up. Praise and honor, honey, to the Orisha. Okay, praise and honor to yeah yeah. Okay, yeah yeah. Shun. Okay, so anywho. I wanted today to be a minute, so y'all know how I be. I be rapping. I be wrapping y'all up, okay, with the pod. But we're going to try to make today a mini-sode because that's the intention for Black History Month, and we're moving with intention, okay? So let's get into donations, and then I'm very excited to talk a little bit more about folklore with you all, which is super important for being Black, child. The Blackness of the Black Futures Month, Black History Month, the Black Love Month. So let's get into donations and then we'll get into the main course. All you need is a little juju. A little juju podcast is written, hosted, and crafted by me, Juju. And this process is a labor of love, but it is labor nonetheless because podcasting is not free. It takes time, money, and resources to produce this show for you, which is why contributions are so important. And there are a few ways to donate to the show, both monetarily and non-monetarily. So monetarily, the first way I'll mention is through Patreon. So Patreon is a way that you can contribute to the show monthly. So on the first, around the first of every month, Patreon automatically takes out whatever you choose to donate donate ranging from $1 to a million dollars, as many dollars as you like. And uh, this is simply to help support a little juju podcast. But depending on your level of donation, you may get a few extras. I'm thinking ebooks, classes, discounts, updates, tutorials. My patrons know it's a lot of different things going on in there. And that is a wonderful way to be in a committal support system with the podcast. Now, if that's a little too much for you, you're not ready for that, understood. You can always just hit me up on the cash app, dollar sign, I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E, or on Venmo, it's Jujubay, or through PayPal at paypal.me slash J-U-J-U-B-A-E. And for the non-committal ways to donate, that is shouting the show out. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your homie, tell your lover, tell your sister, tell your brother. Tell everyone about a little Juju podcast who you think would benefit. Shout me out. Repost the episodes when they come out. Just spread, help spread the good Juju gospel. Also subscribe, rate five stars on Apple Podcasts. Say, I love this podcast. It's really helped me so much. Those are all the ways that I really, really appreciate and also help contribute to the show. So big, big shout out to my newest patient. Patients. Ciao. Thank you. Thank my patrons for their patience, yes. But big, big shout out to my newest patrons. We have Taylor Watson. Thank you so, so much, Taylor, for becoming a patron and supporting the work. And thank you so much to Danny, 
Safi for becoming a patron. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. I appreciate all of the love and support that you all are giving me monetarily and showing up in that particular way. It's hard out here. So I don't take getting a coin lightly or your support, your monetary support lightly at all. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sending you all the good juju that I can muster to you. And I pray that as you are sharing with me, that you, that the energy is returned to you tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, that you have the material resources and all the resources that you need to be able to do the work that you are called to do or the things that you want to enjoy. May you have them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All you need is a little juju. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Anna Julia Cooper. Who is Anna Julia Cooper? You might ask. Well. I'm going to get into it. Just sit back. Okay. So Anna Julia Cooper is an author, educator, sociologist, and Black liberation activist. And she was born in 1854 or through 1859. I saw so many different things, but she was actually born an enslaved woman. So, you know, what is dates and times when you are an enslaved person? Um, she passed away in 1964 and she was born enslaved in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, her mother was an uh, enslaved woman. Her father actually, her mother refused to say. So the idea or rumor is that her a parent is one, was a slave owner or the slave owner's brother, right? So she was born in sort of under that condition and being enslaved. So eventually she was freed and she enrolled in 1868 uh, for a school for newly freed slaves. And so she spent really a lot of her life being able to be educated, which was obviously very important for our ancestors during that time, wanting to get education. Um, and gratefully, she was in a, in a space that there were schools that were, that were opening for newly freed slaves. And so she really, you know, once she got into the school setting, she was there from it wasn't like PK kindergarten, but she was there for a few years. Maybe what we would think of as like middle school through high school type thing. Um, and actually through there, she in a way became an activist because she noticed even at this particular school that there was a way that the boys that were being taught were, they were being encouraged to study more rigorously. They were being encouraged to read maybe more difficult texts while the girls weren't getting the access to that same kind of education. So she's like, mind you, middle school, high school, a school for enslaved boys and girls. She's still noticing at this very young age that like, wait, there's some discrepancy. Y'all sitting here trying to teach us, but how come I don't get to read that book? But he gets to read that book. So this actually kind of started her work and her activism work, which was clearly she's a queen, right? So, um, that was the first sort of notation that says that she sort of started advocating for black women at that time because she started advocating for girl students to be able to read and get the same kind of education that the boy students were. And she also taught math part time at age 10. <laughs> so this is a different kind of, of girl. OK, very impressive. So eventually she goes through schooling. She's a very, you know, smart student. She actually gets into college, Oberlin College in Ohio. I guess she moved and she graduated from Oberlin in 1884. So she became a teacher. I think a lot of our ancestors during that time, if they did have the opportunity to attend schools and particularly women, 
they became educators. They became teachers. And so she she did that. She taught in schools, I believe in like D.C. Um, so she's just like, she's teaching, she's talking, she's encouraging people to attend school. And she was also started speaking at like national conferences for colored women. She would speak at Pan-African conferences. And in 1902, she became the principal of M Street School. And a lot of the students from M Street School, particularly black students, would graduate from high school and she would, you know, encourage them to go to college. And a lot of them were getting into Ivy League schools. The administrators of this school did not like that because they're like, you got Negroes going to getting into Ivy Leagues. Now, a normal school would probably say, wow, this is an amazing teacher. We stand. But no, at this time, again, this is 1902. They did not want to see people going to school. They did not want to, white folks did not want to see black folks in Ivy Leagues. And so she had a very difficult time as principal there and eventually um, left. But she was very outspoken. She was a writer. And so she kind of grew as like a public speaker. She would go around and talk about black women's rights. She would go around and talk about black people's rights. Um, And she received her doctorate in 1925 at 67 years old. She was the fourth woman in the country to no, she's the fourth African-American woman to receive her doctorate period. Um, her, her book, her first book is, is entitled voice from the South by a black woman from the South. And a lot of people consider this text to be the first sort of iteration of black feminism. Um, she's often referred to as the mother of black feminism. Uh, so, you know, she was doing a lot, and particularly during this time frame, also being born an enslaved woman, this is very just impressive. This is just very, because the, the amount of difficulties that one would have had during that time was clearly astronomical. And so for her to be able to continue on with this kind of education is extremely powerful. Now, she did receive her doctorate not in the U.S. She actually got to Paris. So... That's kind of amazing. I will note, although, because because these things matter, she was probably considered, I don't know if it would be the term, quote unquote, mulatto at this time, but probably meaning one black parent, one white parent, even though she was born enslaved, she may have been able to access some of this because there was a level of access and spaces that she could come into because of her racial makeup. But I will also add on top of that layer that through looking at pictures of her, she was not passing. <laughs> she was not a passing woman. She looks like a black woman. But I think that in some ways during this time there were high societies and it seems like she was able to kind of go into those spaces and be a part of like, you know, high societies, um, even maybe some middle class black spaces. So I think that that's just important context to have. She was also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. So skiwi to my soul rules, okay? Um, anyway, she died at 105 uh, in, her, in her sleep, in her home. So clearly she lived a very, very powerful life. And y'all are probably like, okay, Juju, that was cool. Um, but why are you talking about Miss Anna? So I'm talking about Miss Anna Cooper because Miss Anna Julia Cooper because she, she, as a, a speaker, right, 
she had a a a talk that she did a, a speech that she did at what is we now know as Hampton University. I think at the time it was called Hampton Normal School. Um, and this was on May 25th at 1894. And it was a folklore conference happening. And so let me let me back up. Let's talk about what folklore is, because I don't want to assume. I know a lot of y'all do know what folklore is, but via, you know, Webster definitions, folklore are traditional beliefs, customs, and stories of a community that is passed down through generations by words of mouth, right? And it's so interesting because when I was doing some research, just looking up things about folklore, I saw, I don't remember where I read it, but it was like, you know, when people hear the word folklore, they think about white folks, they think about white people's stories, they think about tales that come from white people. And I was like, I'm on the right side. I'm on the right side because I don't think about that at all. Actually, white people are probably the last group of people I think about when I think about folklore. And I was like, wow, I I stay in me because I'm on the right side of history. OK, because I think about black people. OK, but anyway, I just want to say that because I was like, we do. We think about that. OK. Anyway, so there was a folklore conference. Again, folklore being the traditional beliefs, customs and stories of a community passed down through generations by word of mouth. And Hampton was having a talk about that because there was a folklore society, the Hampton Folklore Society. And she did a very powerful speech about the importance of folklore for black people. All you need is a little juju. She's talking about folklore embodying power. She says that folklore is a strategy for creative expression. And it was really a secret weapon that black people had because it allowed them slash us to challenge Eurocentric aesthetics, Eurocentric traditions, cultural traditions, and perspectives. Um, and, and really, actually during that time, a lot of lore was, was white folks writing about and making stories and profiting off of what they saw black people do, how they saw black people speak. And we, I mean, we see that through Disney and the Uncle Remus stories, like white folks, Disney and beyond popular white folklorists are really just writing about black people, stories that black people have told the ways that they perceived black people and then continue to write about them. So this is a very deep connection in how we understand the exploitation of hoodoo. A big part of hoodoo is our stories, our customs and our beliefs that have been passed down through words. That is hoodoo. That is also lore. And we see the exploitation of hoodoo that still happens today because we see the exploitation of lore. And that exploitation of lore is not new, right? This this speech happened in 1894 by Anna uh, Julia Cooper, which is a very, very, it's so powerful. I think sometimes we slash me, we can think that our ideas are new. And that we made it up and wow, I'm so progressive. I'm so ahead. The way my mind works, I know no one has ever thought about this thing. And this was reading about her speech about lore and the importance of folklore for black people to use as a weapon and a tool reminded me that actually we come from people who've been thought this. <laughs> okay. In 1894, Anna J. Cooper was talking about this girl. You ain't <laughs> girl, you ain't thought of nothing new. Uh, so I really appreciated that. But 
It says that black, she said black Americans must turn to African-American folk traditions because it is their homely inheritance. These, she says these songs, superstitions, customs, tales, embody a legacy left from the imagery of the past. A history that is harnessed for the future. Okay, so very big Sankofa vibes, going back and getting it. You know, Sankofa is the word meaning going back into the past to gain the insights and the necessary messages and lessons to use in our present and taking that and being able to project it and use it into the future. That is Sankofa. So really saying that folklore, our stories, our customs and beliefs are our our legacy. It is what we as black people specifically, because I'm talking about African-American lore right now, but really all black lore is our inheritance. It is literally what was passed down onto us that we are able to pass on to others, to other people, our family, our friends, our children, young people, our communities. And I really appreciated a new way also to look at what it means to leave legacy. Because I know a lot of times when we think legacy, we think, I left a lot of money. I left, I had a bunch of kids. I left land. And all of those things are what they are. But also we can leave stories, we can leave imagery, we can leave tales, we can leave customs, we can leave beliefs, we can leave practices, we can leave our, our what we some would call our superstitions, because they give us the imagery of the past. They remind us of something that is no longer here, but that really is, and that's the secret weapon. I also think of her saying that at this time, when we think in 1894, her telling a bunch of people that y'all need to be using lore. We need to be sharing our stories. We need to be talking in our tongues that we want to use. I'm sure she ain't say it like that. I'm sure she said a lot better <laughs> and more eloquently. Talking in our tongues. We need to be comfortable in our own words because we are not, we do not need to compare ourselves, our voices, our stories, our customs, our tales, our religions, our beliefs to that of a Eurocentric standard. And so, though I don't think that we have to, hmm, I don't think that as black people, we always have to keep in mind how to subvert the dominant culture and Eurocentric culture. I think we're allowed to just be and that, like, mm, what I'm trying to say is I don't think that she's saying we have to use folklore because it challenges Eurocentric beliefs. I think she's just saying that that's just what it does. And so hmm, I feel like I've now got my own mind in a tizzy. Let me pause. Essentially, what I took from that was when we just do us, that is when we get free. And it's not always about trying to do things in opposition to white folks or to Eurocentric standards. But imagine hearing that in 1894 
that's actually a very radical idea at that time. It's really, I don't even know if, I don't know if I would say it's radical now, but it's still something that we need to be reminded of to not compare ourselves to other forms of what we may deem real religion, i.e. how people say hoodoo can't fit under a religion. It can actually. What are we comparing hoodoo to to say that it is not that? Or to say that it is not a belief system? Or to say that not sweeping over somebody's foot is just an old wives' tale? We say it's an old wives' tale, but why can't it be a tradition? Why can't it be rooted in something spiritual or something deeper than we understand? Or why can't it be a truth that we don't see with our eyes? There are a lot of truths that exist that we always want to have numbers, statistics, visuals. I have to see it to believe it. Some things you ain't going to see, but you just know it is. That's what lore could teach you. That's what African and African-American folk tradition and black folk tradition could teach you. That's what oral tradition can teach you. An oral tradition is an inheritance that we gain. It is a part of our legacy, is a part of our ancestors' legacy. So when we share these stories, we're actually doing very powerful work. And I think it's amazing that she she just articulated that at a folklore conference at Hampton in 1894. And her work aligns so much with the future generations of the Harlem Renaissance. She wasn't a part of that, but... We see it echoed through Zora Neale Hurston's work. We see it echoed through Langston Hughes's work. Um, And a lot of folks who were very active during the Harlem Renaissance are really pulling from Mother Anna. Okay. So I thought it was super important for me to speak about her because I'm not saying y'all didn't know who she was. I didn't know who she was. And we do speak about Zora Neale Hurston. We do speak about all of the other amazing sociologists, folklorists, archivists, historians. And like, we can also take it back. We can also take it back. So I wanted to give y'all a little Sankofa. Um, But yeah, so I want to leave you all with, to my black writers, to my black artists, to my storytellers, my folklorists, feel empowered to speak in your tongue, to my podcasters, to me. Feel and be inspired and empowered to speak in your tongue. Feel empowered to talk how you talk where you're from. Have your accent show. Share your own personal stories. Embrace the thing maybe your great grandmother told you or the lady across the street who always used to do little rituals and share little things with you or your old babysitter. You know, keep those things alive feel empowered to keep them alive through your work through your art through your words through your writings feel empowered to talk feel empowered to speak we are we come from a legacy of oral tradition we know so much of what we know about black people for real because of stories because child the books is a mess okay the books is lying the history books incorrect the statistics be false because they're often not written by us and they're not rooted in 
our belief systems, where we come from, what we do. So we know the truth because Big Mama told us. We know the truth because my big cousin used to share this with me. And his uncle used to tell him. And Uncle Granddaddy used to to tell him. Right? So we really know the truth about who we are through our Lord. Which is so damn hoodoo. Okay? And I just wanted to, to share that with you all. And to continue on with our oral tradition archives. Also, I meant to say this in the beginning before I started speaking. I pulled from different articles and research places to get this information. But particularly this article that was written by Ebony Bailey was talking specifically in like the most concise space that I saw um, about this this speech that happened at Hampton. And so that was from the article Voice from the Past. All of it will be in there, but... Shout out to Ebony Bailey and shout out to the African-American folklorist.com because who knew? There's a lot of stuff on there, particularly about music. It's really like a music space, but a whole bunch of things. So shout out to them. Definitely going to do some more research into, into their work. But uh, uh, just a great resource that I wanted to, to tell you. I want to leave you all with some questions that I was pondering for myself um, that I encourage you all to ponder. As you see fit. How can we continue on in our oral tradition legacy? What stories can we share that come from our mouths that will tell a story to a future generation? So what story can you do you feel empowered or would you like to share to someone, to a young person or someone in your community? And then how can we hold History with our tongues in a time where everything is seemingly documented through written word. And we love written word. This is not a oral versus writing. But I'm saying as we come from historically as black people, we come from is giving linguists, oral historians. When everything now seems to be written, produced, etc. How do we continue on in the legacy of of holding history in our tongues. So think about that for yourself, if you want. Maybe talk to your ancestors about it. Because I think that, I don't know, I'm not trying to read right now, but something is coming through. <laughs> um, I'm not really trying to open the whole portal, but there's just some. there's just, we need, to, we need to be talking. We need to be talking to each other. We need to be talking. We need to be sharing with our words. And some things won't be able to be written. Okay. So I appreciate y'all. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Okay. So can I get a round of applause, please? Because the way, the way I did not go super long. (laughs) We are under an hour. Who is she? (laughs) Who is she? All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to another episode of ALJ, a little juju podcast. If you would like to keep up with me, of course, you can find me on Instagram at ITSJUJUBAE, Twitter, the same, TikTok, the same. Again, my website is jujubay.com. I, yeah, that's all I got to say, child. Love y'all. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
And remember, all you need is a little juju. Adios. Never drop, drop.